is Diagnosis Glaucoma with your hosts, Dr. Mona Colleen and Dr. Harry Quigley. So today, this is episode 31 of Diagnosis Glaucoma's podcast, and today we have a very special guest, Dr. Ian Pitha of the Wilmer Institute's Glaucoma Division, and we'll be talking about frontiers in glaucoma surgery, that is, not only what is going on right now, but what is coming in the future. Ian, want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes. Well, thank you very much for having me today. I joined the glaucoma faculty here in 2014, and my training is I have both an MD and a PhD. So I did research training in pharmacology and toxicology with the goal of improving patient care by conducting research. So I joined the faculty here in 2014, and I see glaucoma patients. I perform glaucoma surgery, and I run a lab. And one of the interests of my lab is designing different implants to improve glaucoma surgery for our patients. So in episodes 17 through 20, we talked a lot about the standard glaucoma surgeries, trabeculectomy and tube shunt surgery, and some of the procedures that have become more recently uh, newly used, referred to as minimally invasive glaucoma surgery. But we're actually going to go a little bit beyond that with today into what is likely to be happening in the near future. But presently, why do you think, Ian, that there's so many choices for glaucoma surgery? Is that good, bad, or somewhere in the middle? I think it's somewhere in the middle, but mostly good, right? Because all of our glaucoma patients are different, so they have different goals. Sometimes we think the, the patient's eye will be healthy at a pressure that is higher for some patients than other patients. So some of our patients have a very low pressure goal, and some patients have a higher goal. So those different types of patients might be better served by different types of glaucoma surgeries. There are also different eyes. People have glaucoma for different reasons. Some people have glaucoma that's primary open-angle glaucoma, and those patients or those eyes of those patients behave differently from our patients who have neovascular glaucoma from a disease like diabetes. So those two patients might be better served by different types of surgeries. I know there are patients who've, who've had one of these types of surgery, and it went beautifully, and they usually want to have that done for the other eye, because most often we're considering two eyes for any patient. Mm -hmm. And if they've had not so good an outcome, with the first kind of surgery, having an option would kind of give them a chance to do something different and hope that it comes out better the second time. Yes. No, I completely agree. We, we can learn from the first eye and hopefully translate those learnings to a better results for the second eye. We have the trabeculectomy and tube shunt surgeries, for example. We have literally hundreds of thousands of outcomes that are published over 20 to 25, 30-year period. So if someone says, I want to have the established thing, I want to have something that we really know what's going to happen, those procedures have that as an advantage. Whereas many of these newer procedures, while they have potential advantages, no one knows what happens five years later. And there tends to be one of the decision points that we make with patients. Yes, no, patients have different risk tolerances for newer procedures and older procedures. We have patients who are contact lens wearers who might be better served by certain procedures that allow them to continue to wear contact lenses. And then we have patients of different activity levels. You know, some patients are very active or they're active in environments where we think they might be prone to infections, like a carpenter or something. And those patients are better served by certain surgeries rather than others. 
So if we were trying to improve the surgery, are we trying to improve the success rate or decrease the complication rate or both? Well, I think ideally it would be both. So in the past decade or so, there's been a new category of procedures that have been developed called minimally invasive glaucoma surgeries or MIGs. And the goal of those was to improve the safety profile of our surgeries in order to, to serve patients who might benefit from glaucoma surgery, but were adverse to, you know, the risk profile of some of our older surgical procedures. So those minimally invasive glaucoma surgeries have helped a lot of patients by providing them a safer option in terms of surgeries. But that came with a trade-off in that they're not quite as efficacious at lowering the pressure. And we don't know how long they lower the pressure for. So those surgeries served a certain patient population. But I think overall, we'd like to develop surgeries that are both safe, effective, and have a long duration of efficacy. So what is it that gets in the way with the standard operation, trabeculectomy or tube shunt surgery? What is it that gets in the way of having the best outcome? What, what body thing do you think the research should be aiming at? Well, I think there is a large agreement among all glaucoma specialists and that these trabeculectomies and tube surgeries, their success is largely hindered by the body's healing response. So we've evolved to heal injuries to our eyes. And that, that's a very good evolutionary phase because our eyes are basically extensions of our brains. And if you ever had an injury in your eye and it didn't heal quickly, that would put you at a lot of risk of getting an infection that could be really devastating to you. So our eyes have evolved to heal when we make vents or holes inside them or when we're injured. So a lot of our glaucoma procedures aim to create a vent for fluid to be vented out of the eye in order to reduce the pressure. And our body interprets that as an injury to the eye, and it wants to scar that vent shut. So as glaucoma specialists, when we do surgery, we're constantly fighting the body's own instinct to seal that vent, and that leads to an increase in pressure and the you know eventual failure of the surgery if we can't control that healing process. So I think our research and our development in the future of glaucoma surgery should be in better controlling that healing process. It seems to me there are two main things that your work and others has been aiming at. One is to say, let's not put any additional new devices or other kinds of hardware on the eye. Let's just simply modulate the response to an opening we make in trabeculectomy. That's kind of one approach. The second is to say, we really need to have some kind of a device that's going to make the optimal flow out of the eye, but without too much flow. And that was the original concept of the tube shunt surgery. Are there medications that you're seeing right now that you or others are testing that you think could be different or new, better medications that would help glaucoma surgery, either trabeculectomy or tube shunt surgery? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because even during surgery now, we modulate the healing process with different medications. During trabeculectomy surgery, we usually use a medication called mitomycin C to decrease the healing response during the process of the surgery. And after surgery, we usually treat with a steroid with the additional goal to decrease healing or decrease fibrosis, which is scarring 
in the post-operative period. So we've used those medications for, for decades now. But there's a lot of research and there's a lot of interest in modifying this healing response. So there are different medications that come along that we should be testing and modulating that heal response. So another avenue in terms of medications that can modulate the healing response, there are also different formulations of drugs that could release the the anti-fibrosis or anti-scarring medications over a prolonged period of time after the surgery to really modulate that response over the weeks to months after glaucoma surgery when that healing response can really seal up the vent. So I think that's a promising area of research that we're trying to improve that healing response with different medications and different formulations of medications to improve our glaucoma surgery outcome. Well, how about the other end, which is newer devices or tubes that one could put in? I know that's been a very active part of your research. Yeah, so I think that's a very exciting area of research in glaucoma surgery, and there have been some different subconjunctival tubes that have been developed and are becoming clinically available that control fluid flow outside of the eye in order to avoid very low pressures in the post-operative period, but they don't necessarily control the healing response in the post-operative period. So a lot of my research has focused on modifying the healing response by designing different tubes out of different materials in that post-operative period. So I collaborate with a number of uh, scientists and chemical engineers and biomedical engineers in the Center for Nanomedicine, and we're using a technology called electrospinning, where you can basically create very small devices and very small tubes by spinning little fibers around a template And you can create those tubes out of basically any material that you want. And in doing that, we can select very specific materials with very specific surface chemistries and surface topography to to modify that healing response. And in recent decades and more recent years, we've really discovered that by modifying the different materials that we make these tubes out of and the topography, we can change the cellular response to having that tube in the eye, and we can actually decrease the amount of scarring in a similar way that we would from treating with uh, different medications. And the advantage of this could be that we have that topography present at all times rather than a medication which we only deliver at certain times. So that topography could provide a really sustained signal to decrease scarring and improve surgical outcomes over the long term. As an old runner, I love the development of the uh, wick the sweat away from your body material that many people know with different products. One of the leaders, probably the first, was Gore-Tex. And if I understand right, you've been working with the Gore company to do something about a new device. Can you tell us what you can about the non-confidential aspect of that research? Yeah, so we, we have published these results, but we've been working with Gore-Tex material, which has a unique interaction with the surrounding cellular environment in which instead of being ignored by the cellular environment, the cells actually integrate within that Gore-Tex. And what we found in our publication was that instead of forming a impermeable barrier that blocked off fluid outflow from the eyes by integrating into the Gore-Tex material, 
the cells and the surrounding tissue actually created what we would generally call a sponge for that fluid to seep out. So it allowed the healing response to occur, but it didn't block off fluid outflow. So it actually created the sponge where fluid could outflow and pressure could be vented out of the eye. And that's a, a relatively new concept in glaucoma surgery that we're very excited to explore. And how close is that to being in a human eye? Well, I think as we progress and we learn more about this, the goal, especially in this project, is to get into humans as soon as possible to test their efficacy and safety. And once those tests are done, hopefully we can develop an implant that can be used in a wide spectrum of glaucoma patients. I think many persons now understand in this vaccine era that first you test to be sure the vaccine is safe, and then you have to do a large randomized trial, which takes some period of time. And with glaucoma surgery, those kinds of trials would take a year or two. So since we're just beginning the safety trial for such work, uh, you'd say this is going to be two, three years before somebody is going to have an FDA-approved new tube shunt, right? I would look in, in, in that kind of window of time. Ideally, that's when that would happen. I remember our conversations about this and with the company that dealt in the fact that six months to a year to two years after surgery, we see people who were doing fine with their glaucoma tube shunt surgery, and then the pressure goes up, and as if the scarring had somehow continued, or over time, we needed to increase the flow to counteract the fact that the scarring had increased. And that led to the idea that maybe we could alter the flow in the tube through either an adjustable valve or by changing the diameter of the tube. Have you guys thought of any ways, at least in the laboratory, that you could do that kind of thing? Yeah, so I, I think that's a very kind of interesting development in glaucoma over the last several years, and that by varying the diameter of the tube, you can limit flow out of the eye and avoid very low pressures, which can also be detrimental to the health of the eye. So by creating these very small openings for fluid to outflow in the beginning before you've completely healed from the surgery, we can avoid those low pressures while still allowing the pressure of the eye to decrease significantly. One of the things we've worked with in the Center for Nanomedicine with some bio, very talented bioengineers, Kunal Parikh, and Justin Haynes and Laura Ensign Hodges, we have created tubes where at first implantation, the diameter is small. So the pressure in the eye doesn't go down too low in the immediate post-operative period. But over time, that diameter increases, allowing the pressure to decrease even further. We think that this could overcome some of the problems that we've seen with this type of device in humans now, in which that small opening and small aperture of the tube is really an advantage in the immediate postoperative period, but then later on it can be clogged by a very small amount of tissue. So just, you know, with the diameter of these tubes being 50 microns or 100 microns, just having 10 or 20 or 100 cells grow in the vicinity of that opening could really block it. So down the road, as you heal from this, you really want that aperture to be much larger to allow the best clinical outcome and the least likelihood of it being blocked down the road. We've just suggested something that I realized we hadn't done, and that's a podcast on uh, Laura Ensign Hodge's uh, new kind of eyedrop that lands on the front of the eye and has a very prolonged, sustained activity. 
It's sort of like eye drops on steroids. Yeah. And we'll without steroids. And and uh, we'll have to get Laura on for, for a podcast. For those who needed a little more basic information, this was a pretty advanced podcast. You can go back to some of the prior ones and tell you more basic information. If you're interested in supporting the kind of research Dr. Pitt is doing, you go to the Wilmer Institute website and the development office there can help you to support this work as many of our patients do on a regular basis. If you'd like to read more, uh, diagnosisglaucoma.com has access, as does the Wilmer website, to the book uh, Glaucoma, What Every Patient Should Know that Dr. Kaleem and I wrote. Thanks again and tune in for our next podcast. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, your mom says take your drops. 